Welcome to the War Report. Uh, this episode is called Tinfoil Talk. Tinfoil Talk. Uh, now, what Tinfoil Talk is, is things that have been conspiracy or seem to be conspiracy that are proven true. Right? So at the times when the things first arose, people seen it as a conspiracy. Like, oh, it can't be. No, they wouldn't do that. This one. Now it's normal place. It's normal place. But before we even get into some tinfoil talk, let's talk about what a conspiracy is. Right? A conspiracy. A secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. That's one definition. And the second one is the action of plotting or conspiring. Now, though the term conspiracy theory has been used to censor people and defame people, try to get you out of the conversation. You know, it's, it's, it's been weaponized, you know, but in reality, conspiracy theories are not that crazy. Like if, if, if someone conspired to do something, then that is a conspiracy, period. And we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. First, let's get into uh, the big dogs. We're going to talk about Google right now. Because uh, when Google first came out, you know, people are not silly. You know, they, 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 they look towards the future and try to, you know, understand or even give, you know, a, a, a forecast of what may happen. So whenever we have these companies that start to grow and grow and grow, instead of just looking at what the benefit would be, we have to look at, you know, what the problem would be, what problem can arise. And one of those things with Google was that if everyone's searching through Google, then Google has a lot of power. So if Google decides to start editing your search or controlling what the results are, you know, that's 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 a narrative that changes the nation and the world. I mean, it's one of the largest platforms, right, especially for search engines. So we all know, you know, the, 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 the best way to silence someone is to put them on page two of Google. We all heard that expression. If you haven't, now you have. Because no one searches through, you know, the thousands and thousands and millions of pages. You know what I mean? Like if it ain't on the first page, maybe even the second, it might as well not exist. Like people looking through it is zero. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Uh, that used to be a conspiracy theory. It used to be a conspiracy theory. Now it is commonplace and we have proof of it now. Right. And they're, 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 they're exhorting their power more and more now. So let's let's get into this first article talking about Google. Right. It says it has hardly ever been enough for Google just to be able to censor content on YouTube and apps in its store. You know, they call it curating, like curating, but really it's censoring, right? Because they're choosing what you see. It says, and critics say, essentially editorializing what users can see when they Google search has been on, has been high on the list of priorities for a while. Coincidentally or not, in the year of the U.S. midterm elections, the giant is ramping up this effort to make sure the search engine isn't simply returning results like people might still expect it to do, 
And they will think it's doing that, by the way. But what Google decides are trustworthy results as opposed to falsehoods and misinformation. Google's self-styled standard of what passes through trustworthiness tests is described in a, the vaguest of terms. Like it's, it's a vague thing. You know, uh, it says, uh, you know, a lot of things can fit that definition. It's when the behemoth systems don't have high enough confidence in the overall quality of results. Right. Now consider this, considering the power that Google search has because of its dominant market share in the Western world, any tweaking of algorithms putting yet more obstacles in the way of the engine returning organic search results is a notable event where access to information and freedom of speech is concerned. Right. So now it's what we was afraid of. What's we afraid of, right? Like we're afraid that, you know, this Orwellian future is just we're racing towards it. You think when you search on Google, Google is just matching up your search to the highest result. But that's not what's happening, as we can see now. That's not what's happening. It's not matching your results. It's not just connecting the words to the indexing of Google. No, 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 no. They're curating your results right on uh, some factors that we don't even know about to what it describes as trustworthy. And here's the thing. The midterms is coming up and they are (laughs) ramping that up. They're ramping that up. Right. So if it it were just a a honest process, it shouldn't change. Right. Because what what, was it wasn't trustworthy then now it's trustworthy now. No, but it just goes to show like what Google is actually doing. And these are major corporations, these are the largest corporations on earth. You know, they are controlling narratives to benefit them. Of course. Of course. And that goes into dark money, but we'll go we'll speak about dark money later on. A little later on in this podcast we'll talk about dark money. But let, let, let's consider. Let's con- let's let's continue. This time, Google is introducing what it calls content advisories, right? Google says the goal is to help users understand and evaluate high quality information and also promote what it calls information literacy. And the way this editorialized by Google information is presented to users to evaluate is fairly aggressive on mobile devices. These advisories are full screen displayed above the fold where they are most visible. It looks like there aren't many great results for this search. Like that is what the advisory will show. So uh, users, users just to test this out, you know, they typed in, you know, the Illuminati, this and that. And the advisory popped up. This is on Google. Now. Google know good and goddamn well about <laughs> Illuminati's or anything. Even if, even if, you know, they just matched sites or results, which they supposed to be doing, that would be fine. But no, an advisory pops up, 
half the screen. I mean, it's taking up all the screen. And it says like it says it looks like there aren't many great results for this search. This is a dangerous, dangerous development that's happening here. Right. Because it gives them the opportunity to censor anything, anything at all. Now, as we go through this podcast today, if we go through this tinfoil talk, we'll see how many things that was conspiracy theories is, is, you know, come true today, including this, by the way, including this. This used to be a conspiracy theory. And now it's true. Now, think of that with Google. Think of the things it's going to censor that is true. It just hasn't come out yet. Right. And they're going to advise the, the public. Ah, it's not, we, don't, we couldn't find anything, even though this is the truth. Like we are losing grip of the Internet. We are losing footing. The pendulum is never swinging back to where it was. Every time the pendulum swings forward, when it comes back, it don't quite come back to the place it was. And we're losing ground fast, very fast. You know, this that that's that, that's one topic for this uh, tinfoil talk, right? Because that, that that's controlling of the narratives. You know, let's let's continue. Let's continue. We got a story about uh, Sierra Leone, right? And how they shut off the internet access to crush the cost of living protests. So there was protest, right? They're protesting the the oligarchs of that country. They're protesting the exploitation of their country. And in response, they got the Internet turned off right now. Now, listen, we we live in a society right now where we we still expect it to be on, even if we're protesting the government. Right. If we're fighting back, we still kind of expect the Internet to be on. Right. We have all these devices that we keep in contact with each other uh, with and we expect the Internet beyond. But this just shows that they can shut this whole shit off. And they're willing to. If you think the government of Sierra Leone is much different than the government of the U.S., you are surely mistaken. All of these governments are designed to control the people. That is the point. That's why these people get into government. Right. They, 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 they not they, if they want to help people, they can just help people. But that's not the case. They want the money. They want the lobby, the lobbying dollars. And with that, you know, they have to exhort their control. And that's what that's what's happening now. So let's get into this. Sierra Leone shuts off the Internet access to crush cost of living protests. And this is a growing tactic around the world. Like this is coming to your government. It's been happening over and over and over. It says amid anti-government protests on Wednesday afternoon, the West African country of Sierra Leone experienced an almost total Internet blackout. <laughs> like imagine before we go, imagine that. Just imagine it. It ain't got nothing to do with paying bills or none of that. Just they just totally shut off the Internet. hundred percent. And you have to understand what that means. There's no 5G. There's no there's no way you can use it on your phone without having Wi-Fi. No, all of it. All of it is gone. All of it. Now, think 
think of how you contact your loved ones. Think of how you would, how you, if you're protesting, how you talk to each other, right? Like, it's very rare people have walkie-talkies, which, you know, might be an important purchase for you and your immediate group, whoever they might be, because this tactic is being used more and more, and it's coming to a revolution near you, it's coming to a protest near you, and, uh, (laughs) like, this is, this is in-game shit, you know, this is in-game shit, these are, these are silent wars, and if we don't get hip to the, the tactics, it's good. They're going to win. They're going to win. So it says a uh, total blackout. Okay. The protests were about the rising cost of living. Something we have here in America, by the way, with some calling for the resignation of the current president. Something we have here, according to internet government watchdog net blocks for about two hours, starting noon on Wednesday, Connectivity fell to about 5% of the normal level. This is countrywide. Some fixed line and mobile internet operators were totally dark. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you can can actually go to netblocks.org, go to the reports. You can see an actual visual of of the connectivity, how, how it just goes to zero, essentially. Like, it is, it is ridiculous. (laughs) It's surreal. So the protest started Wednesday morning on the nationals, uh, the, the, the nation's capital, Freetown. Protesters were complaining about the high cost of living, with some calling for the resignation of President Julius Mada Bayo. In a statement, Vice President Mohammed said police stations in various parts of the country have been attacked and that there have been loss of lives among security forces and, and civilians. The VP announced a nationwide curfew, which began on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Just think about that curfew at 3 p.m. That's just basically martial law, just saying go inside. <laughs> According to NetBlocks, the curfew was announced at about the same time the internet connectivity blockade was lifted. This was not the first internet blackout in Sierra Leone. Connectivity was disrupted multiple times in the elections of 2018. In recent years, representative regimes have used internet blockouts to squash dissent and prevent the spread of images showing security forces using excessive force on protesters. In 2021 alone, uh, rights groups access now found that the government had restricted internet connectivity 182 times in 34 countries so just just understand that this is something that's been happening in january this year internet connectivity was disrupted uh in burkina faso amid a military coup the same kidnapping the the same the same happened sorry in kazakhstan during protests over high fuel uh fuel costs and in Sudan protests for the return of civil rule. So as you can see, this is something that is a growing trend. Now there was a point, there was a point where 
saying, hey, the government could just cut all this shit off was a conspiracy theory, right? It was, you know, tinfoil talk, tinfoil hat talk, right? That's what it was before. But this is true now. And what I want you to understand is it was true then. Like, don't let, because what I, I see something disturbing happening, right? They, they call everyone conspiracy theorists for decades. And then when it's shown to be true, they just, oh, okay, yeah, they were right. And then move along, right? Just move along like it's nothing. Not acknowledging what they were lying about for this whole time. There was no pushback. There was no, you know, no acknowledgement. And we have to fully see it for what it is. Like, it's almost like people see it as, oh, well, now it's true. No, 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 no. It was true then also, right? And that's what we have to see. Like, and did... The conspiracy theories that are starting to pop up today, you have to understand a lot of them are true. They are true. If anything, when you see a massive amount of conspiracy theories or conspiracy theory growing very, very, very rapidly, there's some truth to it, right? There's something there, right? It may not be the whole thing because, you know, they block information, as we can see. But there's something there. And we can't just throw these theories at the wayside, right? We can't just deem something a conspiracy and just chuck it away, right? Because time is showing us that a lot of these things are true. And they've been true. They were true then. So now we know for a fact that the government... Remember, the internet is not supposed to be controlled by the government. This is not government internet. You understand? Like, this, these are private companies, supposedly, that's controlling, that, that's providing internet access. You know, you have to understand, right? So, if you look at a company like AT&T or what have you, right? When you go through, through them to the internet, you're not going directly on the internet. You're going... To them, and then they are providing access to the internet for you. <laughs> you understand? And, and so that's how it's been controlled. They're providing access. But what we're seeing now is that government directly has their hand in it, where they can turn it off or on, and and, and with with a quickness. Like it's not some three day, two week thing. Like think about it. As soon as these protests started arising, that same day, snapped it off. As soon as there was reports of uh, the police beating up people and, you know, doing human rights offenses, they cut the internet off right away. Because as we know, you know, like they, uh, companies like Twitter get the news first immediately. They don't have to wait till 6 p.m. or more at 7 or, you know, the way the normal news works. It's immediate so the governments, and these are multiple governments. I mean, listen, there's 34 countries, right? You think your government don't have that kind of power? You are silly. Multiple governments are turning off the internet just as fast as you could tweet, right? This is this used to be a conspiracy theory. It used to be tinfoil talk, and it's it is 100% true today. Like it's something we have to address. We have to go through it. Right. 
because this war report, you know, I've been getting comments and things like, oh, it's a conspiracy theory podcast. It may be, it may be, but not in the way you may think, right? If this is that, then you must throw some respect on its name. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about something that, uh, a recent conspiracy, right? Because sometimes the conspiracy is the agenda, right? So people will say, hey, they're trying to push this agenda. They're trying to push this agenda. And then, you know, and in the very beginning of pushing agendas, it may seem like, well, no, they just wholeheartedly care about an issue. They're not trying to push an agenda. But as time goes by, we see there is an agenda happening. And uh, speaking on gender, you know, pun intended, we're going to get into this pronoun thing, right? Because it's it's more than just people telling you what they prefer you to call them. That's one thing. But when government starts <laughs> putting his hand in, you know, that's a problem because that starts infringing on speech. It starts changing how we how things are taught you know what i mean like that's that's the issue so let's go into it. this is wales right the <laughs> wales nhs website it's a government website censors the term girls and women <laughs> now as we see there's been a big trans movement and agenda it is an agenda there are companies there are organizations pushing this thing and they are influencing government and now we're seeing it take place. It says, uh, <laughs> Bloody Brilliant, right? That's the name of a website created by the Welsh government and NHS Wells to provide advice on menstruation and periods has censored the term girls and women from his uh, guidance on periods. Instead, it's calling them people who bleed or half the population yeah, we are bloody brilliant, a source of knowledge, support, information, and empowerment for young people who bleed across Wales. That's what the website states. <laughs> they, they refuse to use the terms we know to be true. Women go through periods and girls have periods. That, that shouldn't be an offensive thing to say especially when it's objectively true. It's something we see objectively. We all see it. We all know it. We know it to be true. But this just shows how uh, agendas can be pushed. And as we, as we, as we go through today, you know, we, we see, you know, we're saying they're trying to push this agenda on us. And people are saying, no, it's just, it's just civil rights and, such and such. But once you go against science, objective truth, you know, and you start getting governments involved, it's clearly an agenda. There's money. There's dark money being provided. And we're going to get into that a little later. Dark money. Let's go back. It says, this is for the website. It says, our aim is to break the taboo, the taboo around periods by encouraging conversation on the most normal natural topics of half the world's population experience. Yeah, they refuse to say women. 
Uh, it says the website has about six topics related to periods, but does not mention girls or women once. And this is a quote. This is a quote from the website. It says when a child's body begins to develop, including pubic hair, boobs start to develop, growing taller and starting your period. <laughs> a child's. They won't say a girl's. They won't say a girl's. Like, yeah, and you have to understand, like, this is erasing women. And girls from the conversation, don't they deserve to be in a conversation that is 100% about them? <laughs> but this is how far this movement has pushed us. This is how far the conspiracy goes. They are conspiring to do this. Remember, conspiracy, a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. And number two, the action of plotting or conspiring. They are literally conspiring to erase girls and women out of the conversation. Now, for everyone who talks about the patriarchy, wouldn't this be something you should be against? Right? But that don't seem to be the case. Let's continue. Uh, midwifery and nursing expert at Western Sydney University, Dr. Carling Gribble, Describe the changes as unhelpful, right? She says, it seems like we have gone f from menstruation being unmentionable, contributing to much distress and difficulty for many young girls around their period, to the fact that it is girls and women who have periods being unmentionable. She said, neither of these are good. Neither of these are good. <laughs> she added that the language could be confusing to young girls. It's entirely possible that this lack of clarity about just who, just who it is who gets periods could be confusing for many young girls. Gribble said that what Bloody Brilliant is doing was erasing women, not inclusivity. They could have achieved inclusivity by adding a section dedicated to those with gender dysphoria, which is what transgenderism is. It is absolutely infuriating to me. I do not understand the need for inclusivity, but that is not inclusivity, she said. It's leaving out the very people they, they are supposed to have at the center of their work, women and girls. Ironic when you think of how people didn't used to be able to say the word period or name the parts of women's bodies. And just as we're starting to make some headway with challenging that, here we are with this new taboo. Imagine how much effort it must have taken to create an entire website about periods without mentioning the word woman or girl once. <laughs> And she's 100% right. Like that, that this is definitely an agenda being pushed. And it, it's peripherating. Like it, 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 it's spreading. And it's insidious by nature. Right? Because you don't you don't realize what it's doing. And you won't you won't realize it for another, uh, for more years as generations grow up with this agenda. Then you'll see the fruits of what they've done. That's the issue. That's the real issue. <laughs> Earlier this year, NHS England censored the words woman and girl.
from guidances on cancers that only affect women, like ovarian cancer, and the guidance on menopause. So as we can see, governments are starting to push this agenda where they won't say women or girls when mentioning things that is exclusively to them. That is who they're talking about. That is who's facing the issues. And they're trying to erase them. They're trying to erase them. Just, just to push the transgender agenda. That's all it really is. Just to push that agenda and trying to normalize it. To try to normalize this. They're pushing this. Now, if we want to get into real tinfoil talk, I believe the reason governments are so adamant about pushing this agenda is because they want to weaken men. <laughs> because if men are more and more behaving like women or being more feminized, right? It actually leads to less pushback on government, less able bodies being able to fight or willing to fight. That's just my uh, my tinfoil talk. That's what I believe. But uh, one thing that is certain, it is definitely a gender being pushed. And it is definitely being funded by dark money, by the way. <laughs> right? That, 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 that's the key. The key is who's funding this? Who's funding this? We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, another tinfoil thing, right? We, we're shotgunning this. Another tinfoil discussion is about <laughs> the government, obviously, and how the government has been working with you know, uh, all these tech giants. Now, listen, in 2019, just two to three odd years ago, right? In 2019, it was absolutely a conspiracy theory that government was running these private companies. They were telling them what to do, who to censor, who to block, who to ban off the air, right? Who to ban off of these social media aspects, right? Like, we've seen it with Alex Jones. I believe that was 2018. And the question, the, the reason that raised a lot of questions was, how is he banned from every social platform at the same time if these companies are private and they don't work together? So how exactly did it all happen in a matter of days together in unison? And it's because government is doing it. Government is doing it. <laughs> like in a previous episode, the tech marionette, we showed how government is directly behind a lot of this narrative that's happening on social media, right? Like they're hiding behind social media so you don't realize it is the White House administration doing it. <laughs> and here is just another instance of that. It said leaked chats, right? This this is chats that got leaked. The Biden administration reportedly pushed for Alex Bernson to be banned from Twitter. Twitter staff said the White House pushed the White House pushed for the ban during a private meeting. Now understand, 
the fact that the White House is having private meetings with with Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all of that. Right. That's already a problem. But to have that meeting and talk about specific people who they want to ban and it's the people who are basically talking against them, that is Orwellian. Like that is a problem. That is censorship. Governments are not even allowed, like especially the U.S. government, they're not allowed to do that. Right. Like that, 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 that's First Amendment. Right. They're not allowed to censor speech that way. But they are. They are. Remember, the reason all of these things like misinformation and all this shit is coming up is because it gives the government a way to censor you, to censor your First Amendment without directly censoring your First Amendment. Right. Like that is the whole point. That's the whole issue here. It's not about what you're saying. It's not, no, it's about the government being able to shut you up. That is why these whole, this whole thing is happening. And let, let, we're going to get into it. So it says, newly released internal messages between Twitter staff show them discussing an April 2021 meeting with the White House where the Biden administration reportedly pushed for a journalist, just to understand this, and author Alex Bernson to be booted from the platform before Twitter banned him. So understand this, right? So he was banned from Twitter. And before he was banned from Twitter, the White House had multiple meetings with Twitter telling them to ban him. It's not a fucking coincidence that they banned him. That is, is coming directly from the White House. It said Bernson was banned from Twitter for violating its COVID-19 misinformation rules you know, four months later in August. <laughs> so four months after they had that meeting and multiple meetings, Twitter folded. Bernstein responded by, responded by suing Twitter in December 2021 with the lawsuit uh, accusing the tech giant of acting on behalf of the federal government and censoring and barring him from across its platform. Uh, Bernstein's account was subsequently reinstated in July 2022 after both parties settled the censorship lawsuit. Well, will you look at that? Will you look at that? So what are you saying, Twitter? Are you saying he didn't violate the COVID misinformation? No. What it is and what, what's been happening, these companies don't want you to know. They, don't, they really don't want you to know what they're doing. So every time you sue them, right, there's a thing called discovery where they have to bring out the files. And that is the problem. Right. That is that is what these companies are fearing. They don't want you to know exactly what they've been doing because it is ridiculous. It is directly the government. Right. Because that will lead to a bigger lawsuit. But let's, let's keep going because it doesn't end there. It doesn't just end there. He was reinstated. Right. These internal messages were published by Bernson. Right. So he published these messages that he got from the from the lawsuit. So the public can see. So how that's how we read it now and show April 22nd, 2021 discussions between Twitter employees on a business messaging app Slack. Right. Benson said the uh, that he obtained the messages as part of the lawsuit against Twitter. And one of Slack's messages, a Twitter employee says their meeting with the White House was pretty good, but they had one really tough question about why Alex Bernson 
hadn't been kicked from the platform. <laughs> this is what the White House is doing. And another uh, Slack message, Twitter employee says that the White House really wanted to know about Alex Bernson and that in Andy Slat, a senior advisor to President, Obama, Obama, uh, <laughs> President Biden's COVID-19 response coordinator, suggested that had seen data. Right, this is what this is. <laughs> This is what the uh, the advisor said. Suggested they seen data that has shown he was the epicenter of disinformation that radiated outwards to persuade sway the public. So they're saying they're trying to get Twitter to ban this guy by saying, "Listen, we have data that says he's the issue. If we he's the reason a lot of these messages is coming out. You know, it's him. <laughs> it's him." In the, in the process, you know, going against his freedom of speech. It's a journalist, by the way. This is a journalist. And, he, and, and if, you, if you've been reading or have been paying attention, you know government has been going against journalists. Like they, it's, it's like a war on journalists. Not just this administration, like the last 10 administrations. Like journalists is like the government's enemy, right? Because journalists let us know what they're doing. You know, a person is working so much and has so many distractions. They don't have time to understand what the government is doing. Journalists lets us know. They do the hard work. So governments try to censor journalists. Some governments just kill them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfortunately. But others try to censor them. Now, if China was doing this, which they are, the U.S. would be against it, which it is, you know, for China. But it's hypocritical because the U.S. is doing it. As we can see, but what they're doing is trying to hide behind the tech giants so it don't look like they're doing it, but they are. They are. Bernson said that in another Slack message, and by the way, he keeps the receipts. So uh, in the references, I have all the links. You can you can see the pictures yourself. Bernson said that another Slack message, a Twitter employee said, "I've taken a pretty close look." At his account, and I don't think any of it is volatile. Like it doesn't violate anything. Brenton noticed uh, noted that the message about the White House officials questioning why he hadn't been banned from the platform make clear that top federal officials targeted him specifically, potentially violating his First Amendment right to speech. He added, "If the companies are acting on behalf of the federal government." They can become state actors that must allow free speech and debate, just as the government does. <laughs> That's the, here's the thing, like, government knows they're not allowed to censor you. And that's why they're going through these tech giants. But this sets a precedent because now tech giants, as he said, are speaking for the government, then they have to abide by the same things. And this is how he got his account reinstated. But it also shows a dangerous move that government has been doing, right? And it, it ain't just him. It ain't just him. It's not a coincidence you're getting your shit banned when you say something against the government. They're doing it directly. Uh, Benson also noted that previous censorship lawsuits accusing the government and social media companies of colluding to ban users have failed because the courts have universally 
held that people who have been banned have not shown a specific demand from government officials that are necessary to report to support state action claims. However, in this case, Benson argues, argues that federal officials appear to have gone far beyond encouraging Twitter to support COVID vaccines or discourage misinformation. You know, an example, information that the government doesn't like. Instead, top officials targeted him personally. Benson said he intends to sue the Biden administration for violating violating his First Amendment rights by pressing Twitter to ban him and that there will be more to come soon. (laughs) Now, an attorney for the New Civil Liberties Alliance, NCLA, who worked on two lawsuits that accused the Biden administration of violating Americans' First Amendment rights by coercing tech companies to censor misinformation, said that the revelations in the Slack messages released by Benson are a virtual smoking gun. And along with a, a sub, sub, substantial evidence proving our contention beyond any doubt. They added that despite the initial setbacks, they are confident that the NCLA's lawsuits will be successful. Come on, man. Now, this, this, this was a conspiracy theory two years ago. Two years ago, this was a conspiracy theory, right? Two years ago. And now it is flat out true. The messages are released. You know, in, a, in the past episode, I showed other lawsuits. Like, it's coming out. So what is tinfoil talk? This is tinfoil talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if these tech giants are just going to fold to government, they are government. And that's how you have to see it. Like you have to, you have to treat this as though these are government websites because they are acting as though they are. So when you're on these websites and you're saying the things you say, like understand, treat it like a government website. They are government are monitoring you. You could say something about Biden and say it starts picking up steam and shares and likes. Listen, there's a chance he will see it. He will see it and he will contact whatever platform it is and say, uh, kick this guy off before he gets to spread his message. You know, like this is <laughs> we're there now. We're there now. All the tech giants are just tools for Big Brother. If you haven't had your, if you ain't put your tinfoil hat on, put it on now. If you ain't put it on then, put it on now because we are there. We are there. That is not a crazy thing to say anymore. Right? Like the proof is coming out. The proof is coming out. Now, to continue on this, uh, this tinfoil talk, right? Let's talk, let's, let's, because we showed in the past and the, in the, uh, you know, close present. Let's show right now, right? The present. Let's show right now. Let's talk about some conspiracies right now that's happening. And then, you know, we'll see. It will it will be seen as true in years to come. But, but let's talk about it right now. What we're going to talk about is the FBI raiding Trump's Mar-a-Lago home right 
Now, I don't support Trump. I don't support Biden. I don't support any of this government. You know what I mean? Like if you if you if you know the war report, yeah, we we don't support either. They're all crooked in me. All of them. Both parties are just hands on the same body. But it doesn't stop us from looking at these conspiracies and uh, having this tinfoil talk. Now, my conclusion, the FBI is doing this because they don't want Trump to run in the next election. That's really what it is. That's really what it is. Like, they don't want him to be in charge again. (laughs) And and, uh, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. And the, the problem is this might be Depends on how it turns out. It could be a good move for them or it could be a disastrous move. Because if they can't produce the things that they claim, then this is gearing up to make sure he wins in the next election. So this is this is as we speak, this is a conspiracy theory that the uh, FBI is doing this to prevent him from running. But let's see if there's any anything to it, right? It says FBI goes after Trump again. And this time it has really blundered. This from the Washington Post. It says the unprecedented FBI search of former president Donald Trump's Palm Beach, Florida home might go down as one of the most catastrophic mistakes in law enforcement history. One already widely seen by Republicans as an act of political retribution by a bureau whose relentless pursuit of Trump has destroyed its credibility. It is also it also makes it far more likely that Trump will win the GOP nomination and take back the White House in 2024. Let's be clear. The mishandling of classified information is a serious matter. After Sandy Berger, uh, <laughs> it's a funny name, a former national security advisor to President Clinton was caught removing classified documents from a secure reading room at the National Archives. He pled guilty in 2005 to a misdemeanor charge of unauthorized removal and retention of classified material and was sentenced to two years probation, $100 of community service, and fined $50,000 and stripped of his security clearance for three years. He also relinquished his license to practice law to avoid disbarment. Right? Many this columnist included, have cited Berger's punishment in arguing that the same standards should apply to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for keeping classified information on her private email servers. According to former FBI Director James B. Comey, those servers held 110 messages containing classified information, including seven email chains, concerning matters that were classified at the top secret slash special access program level, the highest level of classification. Worse still, uh, the Justice Department Inspector General reported that the FBI's inspection division found that classified intelligence improperly stored and transmitted on Clinton's server was compromised by unauthorized individuals to include foreign governments or intelligence services via cyber intrusion or other means, right? But the FBI FBI did not raid Clinton's home in New York. 
And despite the fact that what Comey publicly called Clinton's careless handling of very sensitive, uh, highly classified information allowed foreign adversaries to obtain U.S. secrets, the FBI director determined that, quote unquote, no charges are appropriate in this case. And there is the hypocrisy, right? Like, if, if, if everything was fair, they should have raided her house, right? Before she can destroy the phones that she destroyed and the servers that she physically destroyed with a hammer <laughs> and poured acid on. Like, we, she, we would be, it would be justified to raid her house. But no, they're saying it wasn't. And yet they raid Trump's house. Why the pivot? Why the pivot and uh, enforcement? And it's because, under my estimation, because they want to find something so they can disqualify him for running again. But since they haven't found anything just yet, it's almost going to make sure he wins. Right. Because the, the one party is being unified in this attempt of doing this. That's the issue says many who argue then that Clinton's mishandling of high classified information was no big deal are cheering Monday's search of Trump's home for the same alleged crime. Clinton lawyer Mark Elias had the audacity to tweet that one of the penalties for Trump's alleged misconduct could include being disqualified from holding any office under the United States. And that's what it's all about. That is what it is all about. They are conspiring to make sure he can't run again. Just like the DNC conspired to make sure Bernie Sanders don't win the nomination. Right? And, and listen, the way they did that is through advertising with dark money. With dark money. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about dark money. <laughs> we're going to talk about some more tinfoil talk when it comes to uh, depression pills. And uh, who's paying the bills? Welcome back to the War Report. You know, this is the episode 10 Foil Talk. Uh, now we're going to get into dark money. Dark money. What First, what is dark money? What is dark money? Let's, let's answer that. Dark money refers to spending meant to influence political outcomes where the source of the money is not disclosed. You know, we, we're going we're gonna to get into... Uh, <laughs> how dark money is influencing everything, everything. You know, here's how dark money makes its way into elections, right? So let's, let's get right into it. Politically active nonprofits such as 501c4s are generally under no legal obligation to disclose their donors even if they spend it to influence elections. 
when they choose not to reveal their sources of funding, they are considered dark money groups, right? OPEC nonprofits and shell companies may give unlimited, just unlimited amounts of money to super PACs, right? While super PACs are legally required to disclose their donors, some of these groups are effectively dark money outlets when the bulk of their funding cannot be traced to the original owner, right? So dark money groups have spent roughly $1 billion, a billion dollars, mainly on television and online ad, ads and mailers to influence elections in the last decade since like 2010, right? There was a, a case, Citizens United versus uh, FEC Supreme Court ruling that gave rise to politically active nonprofits, right? So like the, that case kind of sparked it. Yeah, citizens who are barraged with political messages paid for with money from undisclosed sources may not be able to consider the credibility and possible motives of the wealthy corporate or individual funders behind those messages. So let's get into some of the uh, election spending, right? So there's different types of election spending. So uh, hard money, right? It was traditional uh, political spending. With this kind of spending, donors must be disclosed, right? Contribution limits apply and organizations are allowed to coordinate their efforts to help elect a candidate. This is not dark money. These groups include candidate committees, uh, political parties, and traditional political action committees, right? That's what a PAC is, a political action committee. Now, soft money, outside political spending, you know, outside spending, sometimes refers to as uh, independent or non-coordinated spending. Uh, refers to political spending made by organizers and individuals other than the candidate campaign themselves. All outside groups that aren't political parties, except for a few traditional PACs that make independent expenditures, are allowed to accept unlimited sums of money from individuals, corporations, or unions with these donations, right? Groups may encourage, um, uh, engage in a number of direct political activities, including buying advertising that advocates for or against a candidate, going door to door or running phone banks. However, these organizations are not allowed to coordinate their spending with political candidates or parties, while some outside groups like super PACs are required to disclose their donors, others are not. These non-disclosing organizations are referred to as dark money groups. So like, just so you know, like there's a new trend happening with dark money groups where <laughs> groups are just registering themselves as churches, right? So a group might register, say it could be a white supremacist group, right? They'll register themselves as a church so that you can't tell where their spending is going. And then they'll, you know, create a super PAC where they're spending unlimited amounts of money on a candidate, but you can't 
you can't tell it goes back to some racist organization, right? So that's how this dark money is moving. And it also moves with things like uh, like uh, people using, you know, dark money to influence policies and things of that nature through lobbying. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. So let's get into the types of dark money spending, right? Uh, whenever money is spent in a political election with the purpose of influencing the decision of a voter and the source of the money is not disclosed, that is dark money. Common types of organizations that can spend in elections while sh- uh, shielding the sources of their money are outlined. We're going to get into it, right? So there are political nonprofits, right? So a nonprofit is a tax exempt group organized under a 501c3, right? Uh, that's the code for the IRS, right? It may engage in various amounts of political activity, but because they're not technically political organizations, they are generally not required to disclose their donors to the public. These groups, like super PACs, cannot coordinate spending with political parties or candidates and therefore are allowed to raise unlimited (laughs) sums of money from individuals, organizations, and corporations, right? So there, it goes in like a few sections, like this 501c3, 4, and 5, and 6, you know, these different, these different groups like have different, uh, like different ways they can move, maneuver in different ways they can't, but just to sum it all up, right? Like these groups don't have to disclose where their money's coming from, right? Just the same way, like if you give tithes to the church or what have you, the church don't have to disclose, you know, exactly who they got tithes from and all that stuff. No, or have to disclose where they're spending that money. They just don't have to, right? Especially if the thing they're spending on is registered under the under the, the church or what have you, or under the 501c3 or 501c4 uh, or 5 or 6, right? But let's get into what super PACs are, right? Technically known as independent expenditure committees, a super PAC may raise and spend an unlimited, an unlimited amount of money and accept contributions from companies, nonprofits, unions, individuals, since super PACs cannot give money directly hint, hint, to candidates, they are exempt from the limits on funding and spending that regular PACs may abide by, right? So despite the sometimes inaccurate portrayal of them in the media, super PACs must identify all their donors to the FEC and hereby to the public. They must do so on a monthly or semi-annual basis and non-federal election years, and monthly in the year of an election. In that sense, the super PAC are quite transparent, except when the donor is a shell corporation or nonprofit that doesn't disclose its donors. So just to fill you in, what's happening is you would it would be you would start a 501c3 as a shell company, you'll put all your money into them, right? And then let them donate to the super PAC. 
right? So then you can't you you can't see who really gave the money. So for let's just say for an example, let's say for an example, uh, I'm Elon Musk, right? And I want to fund a political party because they, you know, on different occasions, kind of said they go along with things that I like, things that will enrich me, right? If I donate a billion dollars directly, it's going to look crazy. People are going to go, oh, he's trying to buy the election. It brings scrutiny. It goes against what I want. So what I would do is I would start a shell company, which is you know a 501c3, right? Donate a billion dollars to them and then have the 501c3 donate to the political party. And then no one will know that I'm the money behind it. And in that case, I can raise an unlimited amount of money. <laughs> you understand? Like that is the shell game that's happening. That is how dark money is moving. Now, what's happening is dark money is being used and being moved by these pharmaceutical companies, right? And they have been for a long time, right? And we're gonna get, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it and uh and talk about why why it's happening and. <laughs> <laughs> and who all's responsible and you know how, how it's been a, how it affected us right because sometimes you may not be able to see like well whatever how does this affect me how does it affect the country how does it affect the nation like what so what well let's 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 get into it and how we're going to get into it we're going to we're going to talk about uh anti-depression anti like the depression pills right because f- for so long We've been told through commercials and things of that nature, right? Through the, from the pharmaceutical companies that, you know, uh, the depression comes from a chemical imbalance, right? We, we, we know that to be true, right? And come to find out that is wrong. There isn't as much evidence for that as they claim there is. And because they spent so much on advertising and promotion... It swayed the country into buying all of these depression pills, which slowly have been poisoning and killing the nation. Right. And they did it all for money. Not only that, the reason they was able to go wild is because there was no pushback. Right. You would think politically some some party would push back on them. But as we're going to find out, a lot of those parties was, you know, funded by them own shares of their company, <laughs> bought shares before things came out to enrich themselves. So now we start to see there was a lot of dark money given to a lot of our politicians from these companies. And they did this so you can't know that it was funded by them. You know, let's, let's, let's get into it first. Let's talk about the, this little evidence that chemical imbalance caused depression, right? Now, these things was conspiracy theories years ago, right? One famous one was, you know, Tom Cruise going on that talk show saying like, no, these depression pills is, is killing, there's ways that he was seen as a nut, 
right? And because he's a Scientologist, people just wrote off what he was saying. Even though he wasn't talking about Scientology right there, people just wrote off what he was saying as, oh, he's a kook. But as the studies have shown, that theory was true. That conspiracy theory was absolutely true. So let's get into it. Science has called into question the widespread use of antidepressants after a major review found no clear evidence that low serotonin levels are responsible for depression. Now, we've been taught that for years. We've been taught that for years. But these scientists reviewed it and was like, ah, these this (laughs) basically this is funded by the companies selling them. This, This isn't true. Right. And that's that's why science is important to, to, to make sure things are reviewed and tests are, you know, redoable. And, you know, that, that's the importance of it. It says prescriptions for antidepressants have risen dramatically since the 1990s with one in six adults. Just that is a crazy number. One in six adults and two percent of teenagers in England now being prescribed them. Millions more around the world regularly, regularly use antidepressants. Many people take antidepressants because they have been led to believe their depression has a biochemical cause. But this new research suggests this belief is not grounded in evidence. This said the the, the study lead author, Joanne Moncrief. A professor of psychiatry at the University College London and consultant psychologist at Northeast London NHS uh, Foundation Trust. She says, it's always difficult to prove a negative, but I think we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades, there is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities particularly by low levels or reduced activity of serotonin. Thousands of people suffer from side effects of antidepressants, including the severe withdrawal effects that can occur when uh, people try to stop them. Yet, prescription rates continue to rise. We believe this situation has been driven partly by the false belief that depression is due to a chemical imbalance. And it's high time to inform the public that this belief is not grounded in science. This new review of existing studies found that depression is not likely to be caused by a chemical imbalance and said people should be made aware of the other options for treating it. However, other experts, including from the Royal College of Psychiatrists questioned the findings and urged people not to stop taking their medication in light of the study, arguing that antidepressants remain effective. Right, so it's an argument here. But the studies are showing, yeah, there's not much evidence to prove this. In a new analysis, researchers said 85 to 90% of the public believe depression was caused by low serotonin or chemical imbalance. Most antidepressants are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right? So it's SSRIs, originally said to work by correcting abnormally low serotonin levels. The review, published in the Journal of Molecular Psychiatry, 
looked at the studies examining serotonin and depression involving tens of thousands of people. One of the findings was that research comparing levels of serotonin and its breakdown products in the blood or the brain fluids did not discover any difference between people diagnosed with depression and healthy people. The authors also looked at studies where serotonin levels were artificially lowered in hundreds of people and concluded that lowering serotonin in this way did not produce depression in hundreds of healthy volunteers. Other studies uh, looked at the effects of stressful life events and found that the more stressful life event events a person had experienced, the more likely they were to be depressed. Showing the importance of external events, according to research, there's also evidence from other studies that antidepressants may actually induce low serotonin long term. They said, our view is that patients should not be told that depression is caused by low serotonin or by a chemical imbalance. They should not be led to believe that antidepressants work by targeting these unproven abnormalities. This is what Moncrief said. She said, we do not understand what antidepressants are doing to the brain exactly. Now, let me, let me read that again. We do not understand what antidepressants are doing to the brain exactly. And giving people this sort of misinformation prevents them from making an informed decision about whether to take antidepressants or not. <laughs> that, that, that is a bombshell. That is a bombshell of a comment. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And it, it, it's, it, it, it's, it just shows how much we've been lied to. And, and, and we've been told these are conspiracies. Meanwhile, years later, after millions and millions of people are on these SSRIs, which have side effects of the thing you're b- battling, right? Like, <laughs> side effects is suicide. Like, I'm battling that. What? How is that even possible? Well, this is why it's possible, because there isn't much evidence showing that that is why you're depressed. It all can solve it. It says, uh, let's see, a spokesperson for the Royal College of Psychiatrists said antidepressants are an effective. This is another person, by the way. Antidepressants are, antidepressants are an effective, nice recommended, <laughs> recommended treatment for depression that can also be described for a range of physical and mental health conditions. We would not recommend for anyone to stop taking antidepressants based on this review. <laughs> so they try to listen. Though the reviews show that they're ineffective, they're trying to like, uh, no, 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 don't, don't stop taking them. Don't stop taking them. Listen, listen, I'm no doctor. I can't tell you what to do, but the science is saying they're not effective. You, you need to be off something that's not effective because if it's not effective, then what is effective that we know to be effective is the side effects, right? The so-called side effects They're not side effects. They are a direct effect of you taking these medicines. So all the negatives damn near outweigh the positives. The perceived positives. <laughs> this is crazy. This is this, this is the this is this is the big issue, man. 
Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It says, we would not recommend... It's Dr. Uh, Michael Bloomfield, a consultant psychiatrist and principal clinic research fellow at University College of London, who was not involved in the study, said, many of us know that taking paracetamol can be helpful for headaches. And I don't think anyone believes that headaches are caused by not enough paracetamol in the brain. That same logic applies to depression and medicine used to treat depression. There is consistent evidence that antidepressant medicines can be helpful in the treatment of depression and can be life-saving. Like This is what other people have to say. But as we see, the study itself the study itself says basically, uh, yeah, there's no there's, there's no proof that uh, antidepressants or even low serotonin is the reason you're depressed. And <laughs> the only reason, the only reason we actually believe that is because dark money. It's because these these pharmaceutical companies have not only been paying for an extreme amount of ads. The pharmaceutical ad on every TV show, every commercial, they've been paying our politicians so they can keep spouting these things without evidence. And that's all because of dark money. And let's get into it. Let's talk about the politicians who've allowed this to happen. Right. These epidemics, these opioid epidemics, antidepressant epidemics, you know, all of these damn school shooters was on SSRIs. Let's talk about the politicians who has been being paid. More than two thirds of Congress cashed a farmer campaign check in 2020 this is a new stat analysis. Right. Just let me read that again. More than two thirds of your Congress cashed a farmer campaign check in 2020 like that is who is funding the campaigns you know of course they're not going to talk about the, the, the problems they're causing because they are being paid by them right so let's let's get into it 72 senators and 302 members of the house of representatives cast a check from a pharmaceutical industry this is ahead of the 2020 election representing more than two-thirds of congress According to a new stat analysis of records for the full election cycle, right? Pfizer's political action committee alone contributed to 228 lawmakers, right? The PAC donated to 218, meaning that each company, part of that PAC, helped to fund the campaigns of nearly half the lawmakers on, Cong- on Capitol Hill. Overall, the sector... I mean, the whole pharma sector donated 14 million. This is just during that election cycle, by the way. You know, the amount of spending highlights the drug industry's continued clout in Washington, right? Even after years of criticism from Congress and the White House over high prices, it remains routine for the elected officials who post to regulate the healthcare industry to accept six figure sums. Right. So these findings published by a new stat examination of the drug industry's political giving also come on the heels of an extraordinarily 
a year for the pharmaceutical industry, right? So in 2020, the federal government leaned heavily on drug makers to develop COVID-19 vaccines at lightning speed, helping to uh, rehabilitate the industry's reputation and political credibility in the process, right? So stats analysis include uh, a map that allows readers to visualize contributions between individual drug industry packs and states, lawmakers, and Congress districts, right? So in the, in, the, in the description, I'll put a link in so you can actually look at the visuals yourself, right? And it's, it's out of control. You know, Pfizer, which played arguably the, arguably the biggest role in 2020's vaccine race, also had, you know, a, a frenzied year politically. In addition to giving roughly one million to members of Congress, Pfizer also wrote checks to 1,048 individual candidates in state legislative races. Just think about that. They're paying for all your politicians. Outright. Outright. You can't. <laughs> you, you, so you won't expect them, the politicians, to say anything about this because they're being paid by them. While the drug industry gave money to a broad range of candidates, it focused in particularly on those key committees that oversee health legislation. <laughs> the top recipient of drug industry cash was Representative <laughs> Republican uh, Richard Hudson, a Republican from North Carolina. Major drug industry groups donated 139000 to his most recent campaign, a sum remarkable in large part because Hudson is not a, a particularly powerful lawmaker or known fundraiser. He doesn't hold seat on the industry, uh, on the en energy and commerce health subcommittee, an influential panel that oversees large shares of health care legislation before Congress. Like this is this is showing you like where the dark money's going. So like just just think of this. Just think of this, right? So if this money we know about, this is the money we know about, right? That's given directly. How much money is coming from dark money from these super PACs? Like that's the issue. Like they're spending millions and millions of dollars to be able to keep doing what they've been doing. And uh, there's like nothing anyone can do about it because the people who are supposed to reel them in are being paid, are being paid, right? Now, <laughs> this is this is this is tinfoil talk. This this post has been a conspiracy theory, right? We know this to be true now. We know it to be true. We know that pharmaceutical companies paid all of our lawmakers to, one, make it okay for them to keep promoting their bullshit-ass products that there's no science to back up. And now, one in six, probably more now, that was a few years ago, is on SSRIs. You mean everyone's depressed, clinically? That's pretty, that's pretty crazy, ain't it? And now we know all these so-called side effects. Let's just get that out of the way. There's no such thing as a side effect. It is an exact effect of taking the drug, 
right? It happened because you took the drug. It says, you know, the side effects of taking this may be suicide or death or heart attack. This, those are direct effects. You wouldn't have that if you didn't take the drug. It's not, they, 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 the negative effects of the drug, they've convinced everyone are, is side effects. It's not, oof. this drug has no negative effects. It's a couple side, side effects. <laughs> like imagine, imagine a depression drug. You don't have to imagine because that's all of them. These depression drugs, you know, side effects be suicide. <laughs> like, what the, f- like, now, this goes in relationship to the, the science that's showing that low serotonin ain't the reason for depression. Because think about this. If low serotonin was the reason for depression and the drug raises your serotonin, how can an effect be suicide? Because that means you would have to have been, you, you, you committed suicide while having high serotonin, right? It goes against the initial claim of the drug. But this is how, this is how uh, dark money works. They keep advertising to you. They are brainwashing you. Listen, man. We're going to wrap up the war report. But before we do, I want to make a new segment. Right. Because I, I like tinfoil talks and I want you, the people, to also be involved in this podcast. Remember, this podcast is of the people, for the people, by the people. So I need the people. Right. If you have the anchor app, you know, message me and you can be on the war report. We'll have a separate section. Right. Called tinfoil talks where you are going to be able to say whatever you want talk about whatever you want and you i'll keep your anonymity to where no one knows you are so you can really express yourself right so if you have the anchor app right you can message me and we can have a discussion on the podcast you know what i mean and listen it could be any day of the week we can do it and then it'll come out every uh sunday which is the podcast come out every sunday but yeah man that has been the war report. This is for the people, of the people, by the people. Stay safe, stay dangerous, and uh, keep an eye out, man, because uh, everything is happening around you. I'll see y'all later. <laughs>